Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 31. Learn what you can, however you're going to do that, from books or online or watching YouTube videos, if that's your thing. Um, And then just try it out. Try something out on your farm with whatever you have. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. Every podcast episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm Cal Hardage, your host. On today's episode, we talk with Rachel Wagner of Tall Pines Farms. It's a multi-generational farm that's that's in transition. They graze beef cattle and hair sheep. Before we get to Rachel, share this episode, like it, comment. You can find us at grazinggrass.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, Last week on the Instagram story, I posted we had passed 10,000 downloads for the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate each and every one of those downloads. Continue sharing, continue liking, continue listening. Thank you. Let's talk to Rachel. Rachel, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're joining us today. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Yeah, so I actually um, married into a farming family. My husband is uh, fourth generation on the land that we're on, but um, his family goes way back in farming. Um, So I married in and just sort of got into it sort of more after we got married in 2014 and learned as I went, Um, although... I grew up around farming and around, um, you know, grew up in a rural area. I always like to say I was farm adjacent. I had people, uh, friends growing up who had goats and horses and different things, but never really any sort of commercial agricultural operation. So after um, we got married, there was, uh, I just sort of started integrating myself into things a little more and more and taking on more responsibility and sort of Uh, thrusting myself into the family operation more and more, whether they liked it or not. I just sort of started taking control of things. And um, so the family farm is um, beef cattle and we raise hair sheep. And um, it's always sort of been a hobby for the family, Um, just kind of a way to, you know, keep keep the land being productive, but not really making a business out of it. So um, As as we've moved in, my husband and I more, we're trying to turn it into a business now, which is uh, turning out to be, I'm understanding why no one has done this before. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Did your husband's family have hair sheep or is that something you all added? No, that's something, um, there was a, they used to have wool sheep, wool breeds, but there was a management decision at some point that they uh, didn't like shearing anymore. So, oh, yes. uh, I, I understand that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I don't know that we hired out. I think we had all the equipment and they did it on the farm. It was just, at some point it was like, well, this is an awful um, time-consuming hobby to to have these things and also be shearing them. So now we have Katahdins and they are wonderful and I I can't ever imagine shearing a whole flock of sheep. <laughs> so how long have you had your sheep? Well, so the sheep... Actually, let me. I should probably tell a little bit more about the family operation because, um, and if you visit my social medias, you'll see that I often put that we're a, a multi generational family farm in transition. 
and the in transition is a key part uh, because there's um, we're transitioning between generations and between management styles and between the sort of um, figurative and literal ownership of different things. So when I came in, everything was my husband's grandfather's and he sort of ruled the farm with an iron fist, which was fine. Um, even though he was an older yeah. guy and he just, he did so much for so long and I, I have no clue how he did it. Um, so it was his, his, we had a cow calf herd of Herefords, which we still have. And he had his own little flock of Katahdins. And then in 2012, uh, my husband and his parents decided to get their own flock of Katahdin. So they bought a starter flock of about 30 ewes from someone and just started, you know, to have something of their own and to be able to manage it in a way that they wanted to, to have complete control over it. So that's um, the flock that we have now. Uh, my husband's grandfather passed away. So then now the, um, actually just earlier this winter. So he finally had to let go of the farm and it officially transitioned to the next generation, which I would advise everyone else in a family uh, farming situation to do it a little earlier than that. Because <laughs> um, oh, yes. it, it's, you know, it can be really complicated like really complicated to put right. it uh very mildly so oh, that's yes. now we we just have our flock of katahdins um that we're managing so you also have the beef cows that's been ongoing and did did your husband's grandpa manage them more conventionally had them in a pasture and and left them there yeah so that's everything on the farm there was just sort of one big pasture and everything was always grass Everything was always technically grass-fed. Oh, yes. Um, not because it was a, a, a management decision or a moral thing or a health thing. It was just easiest, and we, we always make our own hay, too. Oh, yes. So it was a, <laughs> it was a sort of a, a, a kind of a lazy thing. Like, well, we can make our own hay. We have the grass, so let's just let them eat down the pasture and not bother them. And we'll bring them in when we need to, you know, cut a few out to take to the butcher. Um which, when I came in, I, I started thinking, why aren't you uh, marketing this as grass-fed? Oh, or mar yes. Like, we, you know, there's a lot of missed opportunities happening here just because we're just doing this sort of casually. Right. Um, so that's something we've been working on is doing, like, everything is much more intentional now. Which is how we got started in rotational grazing, which actually, it wasn't that we wanted to manage the land better. We just, we had some really bad parasite issues with our, our sheep flock. Which, from listening to other people talk, that's a pretty common thing, that how you get into it with sheep especially. Right. I think I've said this on a, another episode, and I wish I knew who said this so I could give them credit. But they said essentially that when a beef person or a cattleman starts to rotate cattle, they're looking at providing more forage, taking better care of the land and stuff. But when a small ruminant producer starts rotational grazing, it's because of parasites. Yes, that's exactly, I remember you saying that, and I thought, that's exactly it. And it made me feel a lot better <laughs> that it wasn't just us sort of um, half-assedly doing things, but that's exactly oh, yes. um, how we started doing it. And now, so I started, um, we had this, we turned a, an old um, cornfield into a pasture, and we worked it really hard, and it's really beautiful. It's about 22 acres. It's a big, long um, rectangle kind of a long skinny rectangle and we were dividing it but only into about five sections which was way too big and we'd leave the sheep in there for like two weeks at a time oh, yes. which like 
thinking back on that now, I have no clue what we were trying to do. Um, but it was our first attempts at sort of rotational grazing and seeing how the infrastructure worked and the work that needed to go into it. Um, and then two years ago, I decided I was going to go full tilt into um, doing it really intensively. So I just told everyone else in the family, told my husband and my, my in-laws, um, just give me this field and just leave me alone and just take care of everything else. And I'm going to just take care of this whole thing this whole summer through the whole grazing season. Um, so just leave me alone. Don't bother me. And if I ask for help, you can help me. But otherwise, just like leave me to it. Right. So I spent all of, um, maybe it was just last year. I spent, anyway, I spent that whole time just moving fence and figuring out how big my paddock should be and figuring out how often I should move them. And then as the, as <laughs> the weather changed and things got drier, then it was, okay, well, I maybe overdid it that time. So now I need to sort yes. of adjust and I have all these plans in my head, but then the weather, it, it doesn't always turn out the way that you want it to. So you have to adjust, which I learned. And now this year coming in, I'm feeling a lot better about everything. Well, very good. And when you started rotating your sheep, what kind of infrastructure did you have for rotating? Them? So we have our perimeter fence is all um, five strand high tensile electrified fence. And to divide that, basically doing like a strip grazing situation, just start on one end of the field and just continue to move them over. I have um, Premier One Electronet fencing the... Oh, yes. I don't know which type it is, but it's 164 feet in length. Oh, yeah. um, so I figured out that basically I can split up my pastures with three sections of that. Oh, okay. Pretty much. Sometimes it's a little more. Sometimes I need to cover a gap with some tape fence or something. I right. do all kinds of strange things um, to cover like a three-foot gap that just won't. I just don't have enough fence, <laughs> which is very frustrating. But that's So we use the net fence, and it works really great. The sheep really respect it. And then, but I thought it's kind of cumbersome to, to put up and set down on my own. So this year I started, I got some reels with some poly wire to do three strands and got all the posts and stuff. And I'm sort of trying that out this year, uh, which is, I mean, it's also a pain in another way because I'm, I will set up like five sections at a time. So that'd be like four paddocks. And then I need to keep taking some down, moving it over. Which is because this field, sometimes we've used it whenever it gets ahead of us a little bit, we, we make it into hay. So we oh, yeah. try not to have anything too permanent there to be able just to, you know, have stuff to take it down pretty quickly if we need to hay it. Um, it's just nice to have that option. But then it leaves me to be taking up and putting down fence all the time. Definitely so um, now I'm not really sure what I like better, if it's the, the net fence or the poly wire. Or we have the, the ribbon tape stuff. Um, and then this year I added our, our cattle into the mix and they don't need the net fence as much. They'll, they could sort of respect almost one strand. Right. So I don't know what I like. It's, it, it, everything has a different use, I guess, oh, for yes. different times and different animals and different, you know, if I'm trying to keep a bunch of small lambs in, then the net fence is going to be better. Um, but once I get rid of my lambs or once they're grown up a little bit, I can maybe go to three strands or even two. So it's all a work in progress. It it always is. You know, and just when you get something figured out, there's something else you want to try. Yep. So so it's always a work in progress. On your your use, 
are you finding three strands keep them in or did you have enough time to try that before lambing um it will keep them in mostly unless i have uh and this is something i've started to do too that no one did before they kind of just as long as the you was in good breeding condition they would keep them around yes forever even if they uh behaved badly or were annoying or uh-huh. you know flighty or jumped fences or did anything so now i've started calling for um behavioral things too oh, just yes. to to cut those ones out which has actually really helped because i've had a few that would would jump fences or would sneak through would knock things down um it, but i got rid of some of them this spring and it seemed to really help so everyone seems to seems to be good now very very good and i think that's an important piece of rotationally grazing any animals if you have an animal not respecting fences it's going to train others to do it pretty soon so, so you really need to get in and call those animals at least in my opinion yeah that's well so i have um last year i actually had some trouble with all of my fence with this weather uh we have one weather and his name is homer and he was a bottle baby his mother um died at birth and and i saved him and it was so nice to have him but now he's big and he's giant <laughs> and he's he's um been around our livestock guardian dogs a little bit too much so he doesn't really know he's a sheep oh yes so he just kind of does whatever he wants um which last year was a was a problem because he would decide he didn't want to stay somewhere and he would just jump the fence and then the dogs would do it and then the other sheep would be like well how did that guy get over there so anyway he's he's being a ram companion now he's not with the flock the big flock so he can only get into so much trouble now oh yeah very good what kind of voltage are you running on your fence um, I want to say between 6,000 and 7,000 oh, okay. usually. That's like optimally. I mean, right now it's probably a little less with the weed load and with uh, me having a uh, temporary fence connected in like 100 different areas. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's that's usually enough to, you know, to get the point across when it needs to. Right. I, I agree. Also, this time of year, you've got more forage growth. And it's probably wetter, so yeah, all those things pull it down some. Yeah. How are your cows doing with your rotational grazing this year? They are doing great, actually. So a little of backstory to them. They uh actually probably some backstory to all of our animals. Um because of how they were managed before and just sort of left to do their own thing in this giant pasture, they became Pretty independent oh, yes. would be a nice way to put it, but I would say like kind of feral. Um, they were just really hard to handle, and the only time that they got handled was um, when we needed to round them up to to do a health check or to sort some out to take somewhere. Um, and it was always really stressful on everyone, so they hated us, and, oh, yes. and we didn't like working with them, which I don't blame them. I mean, if the only time you had to deal with a human, they're trying to sort of push you around and, and sort you out. I understand that. So, right. um with our sheep, at least, I got a, I had a bottle baby maybe five or six years ago um, and got her in the flock. And then she just sort of, over time, people, you know, the rest of the sheep started to realize that, hey, these, these guys aren't so oh, bad yes. and they give us food. And now they're super tame, um, almost to an annoying point, <laughs> but it's, it's worked really well. So I'm trying now to do the same thing with our cattle because um, it matters a little more just because the difference between working sheep and cattle, I mean, sheep... Uh, Katahdins, you know, they, they run a little smaller than other breeds. Yes. So you can really, they're pretty easy to handle, even if they are half wild. Um, 
But cattle, they're just so big, it's really dangerous to sort of rely on being able to manhandle them. I mean, it's just not possible. So um, to get them into where they need to go, I just sort of rely on them to think that it's their idea that they're going in there. So to get them into this big pasture that I wanted them to go into, I just left the gate open, which of course then they think they're being sneaky and going into an area that they're not usually allowed into. And then uh, once they were all in there, I shut the gate. And then to get them to figure out the rotation thing, I would just move their water troughs, basically. Like, they would run out, but, you know, I'd fill up enough for one day, and they would sort of be running out. So I would move all their water over, open up a little section of the fence, fill up the water, and then they would kind of be staring at me, like, what are you doing? What's the deal here? But then they started to see um, the new grass that they were getting every day, which was pretty exciting compared to before when they had the whole pasture grazed down to like a, like a golf course, basically. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, so by the end of the time that I had pushed them all through this one big pasture, cause we've already gone through one cycle of it. Um, they were moving pretty much on their own without me moving their water troughs. I would just open up a section of fence and kind of get out of the way and they would see the new grass and they would go. Oh yes. Very good. Um, which was, I mean, they, and they, they were great. They just learned so, I mean, cows are so smart and they just learned so fast, which was nice. So now it just comes getting them used to me, used to people and getting everyone more comfortable, which I know will take time. It's just, I like to rush things, but all of this stuff just takes time and just takes being there and just showing them that you're okay. It, it does. It does. And I think it pays worlds of dividends in the future, just having calm animals. And them being familiar with you. I know my cattle drive my dad a little crazy when he's over messing with them because I have them so gentle. But I just think it just pays dividends. They're less stressed. It makes handling them easier, except when they won't move. But for the most part, they're pretty good. Yeah, that's something I noticed. So um, for my day job, because all of us have day jobs off the farm still. um, Right. I'm a, an ag journalist, so I'm an ag reporter for a local um, newspaper here. And um, once I started going to these different farms for my job and sort of seeing how other people were doing things and seeing how their cow-calf herds were, that we could just sort of walk through the the pastures with them there. Oh, and yes. just seeing how calm they were really opened my eyes to the fact that, like, <laughs> what we were doing, it didn't have to be that way. There was another way out there, which oh, I think yes. is really helpful in all of farming is to, I mean, you can read all the books and you can get all the online resources that you want, but really what's going to help is to go to different farms and see how people are doing things and just get those different ideas and sort of see a different way. Not necessarily is, is what someone else doing going to work on your farm because every farm is incredibly unique. Um, but just to sort of get those ideas and open your eyes to different possibilities and different things to try. Right, there's there's something we can learn from everybody. And going to those farms is a great opportunity to see what they're doing and see if there's something there, how can you implement it at yours? Yes, I think that would be a lot of fun just getting to visit other farms and doing that. It is. So, nice off-the-farm <laughs> job there. Correlates well with the farm. Yeah, that's I, I started out as just a regular journalist doing daily newspaper stuff and community news stuff, and then this opportunity came up to, to work for a farm paper. Um, and I took it not really knowing. I mean, I had experience on our farm, but I didn't really know anything about ag otherwise. But I thought, well, it can't be that bad if I just get to like go hang out with other farmers 
all the time, which is what I do. And it's, oh, it's so great. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, very good. Now, one thing I don't think we talked about yet, where are you located? Oh, I should have mentioned that. So we're in western Pennsylvania. We're just uh, maybe like an hour north of, of Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And I am a Pittsburgh Steelers fan because of Mason Rudolph. Oh, that's who good. Went to Oklahoma State and is now playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, he's good. And you got James Washington there as well. In Oklahoma, we do not have any professional football teams, so we just have to follow our college teams and then wherever they end up. Oh, well, that's okay. You picked you picked well there. I mean, you really cannot go wrong with the Steelers. There but, of course, go. I would Very say that. Good. Now, uh, moving away from your animals a little bit, talking about your forages, what kind of forages do you have on your farm? So anything we've planted recently, which um, the big pasture that I have all my animals in typically through the summer, and then we've reseeded a couple hay fields with similar mixtures because we found that we really liked them. Um, it's mostly orchard grass because we found it just does really well here. Um, and oh, yes. we've, we've had some, um, we're trying to get bird's foot trefoil to, to sort of, okay. um, get set up as well, but it's a little trickier. Um, but mostly like everything is orchard grass and whatever else, you know, blows in on the wind. Um, oh, so yes. some clovers and stuff. And actually in some of our, in some of my pastures, I'm thinking of, um, throwing some more clover out there just to to get a little bit more of a mixture. Um, but our animals seem to do really well on this, you know, very plain old orchard grass mix that we have going on. Oh, yes. I'm not super familiar myself with orchard grass. I don't know that we have it in our area or I'm just not familiar with it. I, I really should look that up sometime. It, it's like, um, <laughs> before I started really learning about different forages, it was, I assumed everyone had it and everyone used it because we use it. It's, it's in literally all of our hay fields. It's in all of our pastures. Oh, Anytime yes. we plant anything, orchard grass is the main thing. So I just really thought that it was what everyone did. And then I started looking into more different, you know, pasture mixes. And I was like, oh man, maybe we're the weird ones because we rely <laughs> on this one thing so much, but it just, I mean, it does really well. Our animals do pretty well on it. And it's, I'm going to say a little, like, it's kind of low maintenance. We used to have a hay field in alfalfa, um, which was nice, but it just, when it got weeds in it and it just sort of got taken over, it was a little more high maintenance. So now we're just with the orchard grass. Oh, yes. It's a little bit more work with that. Is your land just pasture land? Do you have some trees on it? What kind? <laughs> so that's actually something that's, um, our land is... I would say the the whole farm property which is owned between some different family members is about 500 acres the front third is mostly sort of um pasture and fields and stuff oh, but yeah. i mean about two-thirds of it is wooded oh okay so that's something that um we're trying to get into and we've sort of done on accident just because we've had to fence in some wooded areas next to our fields is we want to get into more silver pasture oh yes so right now my father-in-law is um, he's on a mission to get this one hillside fenced in. It's all woods, and it's connected to my big summer pasture just to be able to get some. I mean, the thought on a basic level was to be able to get them some shade Yes. Uh, when it gets really hot in the summer, but I think we also are going to um, do a little bit of select cutting there. And um, I'm guessing you don't have this where you're at, but uh, multiflora rose is just a scourge here. I mean, it's all through the woods. It's just the oh, worst. Oh, yes. And we um, do have some of that here. Oh, man. It's just terrible. I mean, it's all over here. 
So the sheep like to eat it, and my, my llama really likes to eat it, oh, but yes. they're not, they'll just eat the leaves off of it. They don't really kill it. So um, I'm going to have to figure out what to do there to really get um, the ground opened up, to open up, you know, first to open up the canopy and then right. get all this brushy stuff out. Um, but that's something, that's sort of a, an opportunity that I think we have because we have so much woods. Oh, um, yes. I've just been getting more into reading about silvopasture and all the opportunity there so that we wouldn't have to clear everything and that we can use all of this sort of to our advantage. And I actually just listened to your episode, oh gosh, with the silvopasture guy. Well, I was just going to say, episode 18, yes. Austin was on talking about silvopasture and he's located in Pennsylvania. Yes, so I listened to that one, and I thought um, there's just a lot of stuff I didn't, I guess, realize about how it how it can work, and how like if you're turning a, a field into and you're going to add trees, which we would be doing the opposite, right. we'd be sort of clearing out different trees. But just thinking about how you would plant different trees for different purposes, and and some are fast growing, and some that are slower growing, and you would plant you'd you know plant some with a plan to timber them, and just all the different ways you can do it. Um, it just gave me so many ideas that I haven't pitched to my family yet because they just love when I come to them with all these ideas. So, <laughs> but it just gave me a lot of stuff to think about. Like we could add trees here, and we oh, could yes. still do hay. And oh man, it was great. So yeah, that's and you know, learning from people like that, just getting these little tiny ideas and thinking, well, how could I integrate that here? Would that work? And maybe I'll just try it in a little way, and if it works, then we'll go big. Right. Yes. Um... Start small, you know, and just do a little bit and see how it goes. Now, earlier uh, you mentioned uh, your watering system and moving your watering trough. How are you watering your animals? Oh, yeah. So that's, um, well, we have water near our, we have a big old bank barn. And that's sort of the, uh, like the home base for everything in the winter. That's where we feed hay. Um, because we mostly, we we hit it really hard in the grazing season from like, late April to November. We're trying to sort of stretch that out with different management yes. techniques. Um, but so we have basically everyone on, on in the winter on sacrifice pasture and, and heavy use areas. So we have um, water there. We have wells. We have, you know, pumps and stuff. But over the summer, uh, I have what I call a water wagon. So it's a 325-gallon tank on some sort of old trailer thing. And there's a pump on the front. <laughs> and so I just fill that up um, with the just with the sheep. I could I could fill it up once, and that would last me maybe three or four oh, days, yes. depending on what time of the year it was. Like if in July and August, I'm I'm doing it more. Right. Um, but the sheep really don't seem to need a lot of water. The cattle, though, oh man, that's been a a new learning thing. Is just how much water oh, they, they drink. They like their water. It's, yeah. Oh, it's crazy. So that's um, when I had them in there, which everyone's sort of taking a break right now just because we have a bunch of different things going on on the farm. Um, but once I get them back in there, when I was had them rotating before, I was filling my tank up um, at least once a day. If not, I would fill it up and take it out in the morning and, and clean all the troughs and fill all the water up. And then I would come back out um, sort of in the late afternoon, early evening and do the oh, same yes. thing all over again. Um, which it's nice. I really like that. I know that they have fresh, clean water. Their troughs are clean because they're also really messy compared to the sheep. I mean, they just <laughs> yes. don't care where they go, what they step in. Oh man. But they just drink so much water and it's a little cumbersome. We want to get some water down there at some point. It's just, we're trying to think about the best way to do it. Oh yes. 
So until then, it's just me hauling this wagon around with a side-by-side, just putting along, filling it up with a hose, hanging out. <laughs> but it, it does give an opportunity um, for the to me for me to interact with the animals more. So the oh, cattle, yes. they sort of yeah. know that the water lady is coming and she's going to come and fill up our troughs and clean them out. Um, so now they sort of look to me and that's sort of, it's sort of nice to, to give me a reason to be out there and for them to sort of rely on me for a little bit, but it is also a huge pain in the butt. I can see both those things. I can see the advantages of that in that you're out there, you're doing something, the animals get to see you. And then yes, it would be a huge pain just having to do it every day. It is nice though to be able to move their water troughs around so that they're not, um, you know, that's. We don't really have any heavy use areas or areas that get, um, like we don't have alleyways. Like whenever they're moving through their rotations, like everything is moving after a couple of days. Oh, yeah. Everything. Every piece of infrastructure I have out there, which is um, annoying, but it's also nice because then I know that that area is just, com- you know, completely resting. Oh, yes. Once we're out of there. Yeah. And, and you have the opportunity to use that animal impact to make some changes as well. Like um, if you put your water around some of that multifloral rose, they would stomp that down pretty good. That's the plan. Yeah, <laughs> that's the plan. That's what I'm sort of, I'm sort of excited to have the cattle in the mix now because they just, um, you know, doing things last year, the past couple of years with the sheep, they, they, they eat and they graze in a different way. Yes, they do. Um, you know, and they, they get to be a little picky about what they want. And if it has seed heads, they're just like not interested at all, which is fine. But it's also kind of annoying because then you have to go and you mow it or you have to do something with it. But now with the cattle, um, I'm able to sort of let things grow up a little more. Oh, yes. And then the sheep, they, get, they go. So I have my sheep go in first and they sort of pick whatever they want. And then after a day they move out and they just love this setup because they just get the best of everything. Then they move on. I mean, as soon as I come in every day, they're ready to move, whether I'm ready for them (laughs) or not, but they're all standing there and, you know, just yelling at me like, okay, let's go, let's go. So the cattle then, it's nice to have them because, and this is what I'm planning to do next is have them in even smaller sections to sort of get them to eat and then also trample things down. Um, So I'm hoping that some of that stuff that the sheep were kind of ignoring the the cows will either eat it or they'll just step on it. Oh yeah. And then I won't have to I won't have to mow it. I won't have to do anything with it. So it's nice to sort of have the, um, both of them, sort of working in the same area but doing different things. Oh yeah. Which has been really it's just been really nice to see, to see that in action and just to see the difference. It's it's super fascinating. I I really think with having both species they complement each other so well. I think traditional farmers are missing a additional income stream if they're not utilizing sheep to graze with their cattle or in some fashion. I I think that too and that's uh I have some some friends that have sheep and we of course think that sheep are the best thing ever. Oh yes. Um and we always talk about how we just we don't understand why people don't just get into sheep just a little bit just to to have them do different things or just to sort of complement different things you're doing on the farm and to have a little bit of a different, um, yeah, different revenue stream. But just to, to they do, they eat a little differently. Yes. Um, and they just act a little differently. So oh, they do. Yeah. And that's, we used to, we used to have our, we used to run our cattle and our sheep all together. Yes. Um, which was fine and it worked great. And I think it helped with, uh, predation. 
some. That's oh, when yeah. we when we split them up and got our own flock. That's when we had a lot of issues with predators with our new flock. Um, but we also had issues when they were all running together. The cows would step on lambs and kill them, oh, and yes. just different injuries would you know because they're just really big. They don't mean to hurt anyone. They're just gigantic. So right. we have them separated for now, which is actually working really well to just sort of have them uh, moving together but separately. Very good. On your sheep and your cattle, when do you have them lamb and calve? So the cattle always, and we're actually about to, that's, this is uh, our, our plan for tomorrow is to sort them out and then put the bull back in with our cows. Um, so we usually throw him out in June sometime and then we calve in, you know, March, April-ish. Yeah. And then um, we've been doing winter lambing lately just because that's sort of how uh, things have worked out, which it actually, we do everything on pasture, uh, which is nice. And our, our, our animals are really well adapted for that like our sheep even though they're hair sheep they do really well lambing in about january out on pasture we just make oh, sure yeah. to to check everyone and to make sure everyone's you know keep an eye on everything um we just we don't have the infrastructure right now to do indoor lambing but i sort of like having everyone you know have their own space it's a little hard for for keeping track of stuff but it's it's also <laughs> a, a like a low input sort of thing that we're doing yes yeah um, my only concern uh just being in oklahoma and lambing in some of the colder weather, we don't get as much snow as you. So have you noticed um, snow and the cold weather being much of a problem lambing then? Not really. Um, we just make sure they have sort of a run-in shelter. Oh, yeah. That they usually are, are used, they kind of go off on their own to lamb, and then they bring them back down to where the feeder is and all the stuff is. And this past winter, we've been pretty lucky. We've had really mild winters the past maybe three or four years. So um, this past winter was actually the first one where we got a nice hard freeze. Um, oh, yes. Because the, the past ones have been kind of wet, but we, we had snow for about a month. We had a nice hard freeze. But it was also kind of scary because we had lambs running around, you oh, know, tiny yes. lambs, and it was windy and cold. So we just, we sort of made a, a nice windbreak um, with some, some junk round hay bales. Oh, yeah. Um, which they, they appreciated, but they also thought, um, like, oh, man, this is really nice. They just threw this hay on the ground. This is awesome. We could climb on it. Oh. So it had a dual purpose. It kept everyone busy. Um, right. It blocked the wind. It made me feel better. But, um, no, we haven't really noticed any issues with, with winter lambing. I mean, of course, you're going to have some losses there that you maybe wouldn't have if you're lambing in, like, the best weather oh, in the yeah. spring or if you're doing it indoors. But that's just – it's one of those risks you take to – to do sort of a low input thing. And then I guess you would maybe count that as sort of a, a natural culling and leaving than the best and strongest animals oh, yes. around. When you have new lambs or calves, do you do anything with them right off the bat? For instance, for us, for our calves, we tag them, we band them if needed. Uh, the sheep I handle a little bit different. What's your all's process for new babies? So that's the thing we don't really have one yet and oh, that okay. this is part of this is part of the whole um hands-off doing nothing management system that has uh remained that i'm going to change this year um because then it's hard to tell it's just hard to tell everything um you know who who came from where and how many we had and, and are these boys or girls and um luckily because i'm in there a lot more now I, I pretty much know who everyone is oh, um yes. and with the with the cattle we sort of let them grow up a little bit before we um, tag and band them. Oh yeah, um, which uh, you know I think that's it, a that's part of running things with the family is decisions are sort of made by committee instead of just one person ruling right. over. So these are discussions that you have to have like 
well, can we do it differently? Why would we want to do it this way? <laughs> what are the you know pros and cons of sort of letting them grow up a little bit right. and keeping them intact? Or what are the drawbacks of letting them stay intact too long or letting them get a little bit too energetic? Um, so, yeah, we're pretty hands-off. It's worked okay for us so far, but these are things that I would really like to um, improve on. It's just, you know, it just takes time. You just have to take everything one, like, season at a time, basically. And it just it seems to take forever when you have all these ideas about how you want to oh, change yes. and improve things. Yes. Um, but that's, yeah, you just got to take it one lambing and one calving season at a time. One thing uh, on my sheep, I I used to tag them within about 24 hours. And this year, I did not tag them at all. In fact, I'm going to go out there and see if I can pair them up as much as I need to. I don't know. I, I have um, anxiety about it because I like having everything tagged. I like putting on my spreadsheet who had what and how many they, they had. So it's, it's a little bit different this year, but we're trying a little bit more hands-off because I found... You know, when you start messing with those lambs when they're just born, some of those ewes go crazy. I can mess with the calves almost as soon as they're on the ground, and it doesn't bother the cow. But sheep are different. That's that's the thing we've noticed with our animals, and that's coming with being able to handle them better. The Because our cattle were not handled for so long, oh, yes. um, a lot of the mothers would run you down do if you, you tried to, to even like check the sex of, of the baby. Um, so we're pretty hands off with the cattle. I'm hoping that as we get everyone more comfortable with one another, that we can handle them more. And that's why, um, with the sheep, I've been able to at least mark which mothers had how many babies and sort of what their colorations were. But all of this, I mean, you have to weigh like, what is this work really doing for me? If I'm just gonna, you know, uh, market all my lambs for meat, does it really matter? do I want to start keeping some for breeding stock? And then that's when I would want to keep track of who's who. But so these are all things that we're weighing and this is all coming into the everything's in transition because we're just really sort of figuring out which directions we want to go and why and what will, you know, be the best use of our time and also the most profitable use of our time. Right. Because like most or many of us, you've got off the farm job. So you're doing this in the evenings and during the weekends. So you have to, you have a family. It's all about balance. So you, you really got to be careful about that. Right. And that's, I mean, in all of this stuff, especially doing things, um, you know, doing things grass fed and, and doing all this grazing stuff. I mean, it's just, it's more labor intensive than it doing is. it, you know, yes. conventionally. So everything you do, you, you can try it, but then you also need to weigh it with all the other stuff in your life like what is the benefit of me doing this one practice is it going to really be worth it in the end is it just going to make me feel better is it going to produce a better product like what is it really doing right and i think uh jump back to earlier in the conversation you mentioned you're not rotating them this week because you got some other things going on that's a great thing about your plan grazing you have a lot of stuff coming up you can plan for that and give them a bigger area or something that doesn't require as much attention. So I think that's really a important note. You don't have to be out there moving every day. You can make it work for what you're doing. That's something that I have um, sort of struggled with, especially when you see other people doing things on social media or you just read about other farmers, you know, the 
like the the big names doing things a certain way and they move animals twice a day and they do all this stuff and you're like man i'm not doing enough but then also maybe i want to take a vacation or like maybe i want right, to take a weekend yes. away maybe i have 10 other things going on in my life and if i don't move them this moment on this day is that gonna ruin everything forever probably not like yeah maybe you overgraze a section a little bit that's okay like just move on try better next time sort of reevaluate your plan and then also, I mean, yeah, you don't always have to be right on top of it. Just do the best you can with what you have at the time. Right, right. I completely agree with that. Before we get to the overgrazing section, a couple more things. One of them is what challenges have you faced? And you mentioned some, um, but what challenges as you transition to the rotational grazing have you came across? Okay, so this is going to sound a little bit... Um, maybe not traditional, but a lot of it has to do with joining a family farm that has been doing things a certain way for a long time um, and coming in as kind of an outsider with all these different ideas, um, which I know that's not everyone's situation, but I'm sure a lot of people will relate to how it is to be in a family operation. Um, so one of the challenges is having these ideas that are not what has been happening for the past 10, 15, 20, 50 years. And so I found the best way to handle that is if I come up against them, well, we haven't done it that way, and this is the way we have done it, and this is what works for us. Um, that's kind of why I just took over the sheep and the rotational grazing that one year. Um, I just kind of figured I'm going to go hard at it, and I'm going to try it, and I'll prove that it works. And if it doesn't work, then we'll go back to what we were doing. Um, and it actually, I think my father-in-law, especially, he was, he was kind of into the idea, but he just thought it was a lot of work to be moving oh, the yes. fence around and moving the sheep all just moving all the stuff all the time. And I'm always, Rachel's always <laughs> moving everything all the time. Like, why are you doing this? Um, but we found that, um, on top of it helping with parasites, which we've, it took a long time for us to overcome those issues. And we, we called hard for ones that needed to be wormed. Um, and we just started moving everyone more and just sort of really um, being vigilant about that. But on top of that, I found that rotating last year, it helped our lambs gain weight better. Oh, yes. Which is hard on, you know, being just grass-fed. You know, it's hard to just pack on those pounds. But um, right. we were marketing some of our lambs at six months, which with hair sheep um, especially, it takes them a little bit longer to finish out. At least that's what we found. So I had some at six months that were big and meaty and ready to go and that's never happened before so it really oh, yes. it was it was the proof that the one challenge is just changing minds oh, and yes. i found that the best way to do it is just just do it just try it especially like that's what i'm doing with the cattle this year um i'm just doing it and yes. no one can stop me well i mean they could try but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i'm pretty persistent so i just try things and if they don't work then we don't do that anymore and i say well that didn't work um we'll we'll try it your way now but just let me you know, give me a chance to, right. to show you that this is going to work. And it, a lot of the times it does, and I get really excited because I have no clue if it's going to work. Um, <laughs> but you just got to try it and see what happens. Yeah, see if it works for you, yes. Second thing, uh, where do you see your farm going in the future? What, what's oh, your man. plans for the, the near future, three to five years? Okay, that's a great question because we're literally sort of sorting this out now since we're, we're transitioning from hobby farm to business and we need to put our business hats on and think about everything as, oh, yes. as a business, not just like something we do after work 
and on weekends that is sort of sort of fun but sort of not fun at the same time so um we're gonna start usually we've just sold freezer beef freezer lamb we've sold animals at auction and we're gonna start um direct marketing doing you know retail cuts doing packages of meat um which i mean there's a pretty good market for grass-fed beef around here we have a pretty good market set up lamb is a little different people are still sort of unsure about eating lamb but um I think the the prospect of buying a package of lamb chops is a little less scary than buying a whole lamb for your freezer, oh, which yes. is what we had available before. So that's something we're trying this year. And then the goal down the road is just to continue um, sort of beefing up our management, increasing our herds and our flock sizes as we get our management a better handle on managing the land so we don't um, overstock or anything. You know, we want to make sure that we're staying within our limits because we make all our own hay. We try not to buy in. It's just because we, we have the land base to be able to do these things. Oh, so we yeah. want to work within that. Um, so that's just continue to expand and do more direct marketing stuff, um, which I know not everyone in our family, it's, it's you know, my husband and I and my in-laws. Uh, my husband really doesn't want to. I mean, he's not a people person. He's not going to go out and, oh, yes. and, you know, sell, sell lamb chops at a farmer's market. But I'm pretty well suited for that. My father-in-law, he's he can talk your ear off. He's pretty well suited for that sort of thing um so in all of this is finding everyone's strengths and their weaknesses and sort of playing to those things which is the nice thing about um it being a family operation is everyone has different things that they can contribute true yes that's very good well rachel let's move to the overgrazing section our deep dive into some practice or something about your operation what are we going to dive into today Okay, we're going to talk about uh, livestock guardians because we've had sort of an interesting journey <laughs> with livestock guardians. Um, so right now we have a llama and we have three dogs, three livestock guardian dogs. Um, and I, I honestly don't know how anyone um, raises sheep without livestock guardian dogs, um, at least here in western Pennsylvania. And it isn't this way all over western PA. Um, but where we are, we had... A really bad and we still have a really bad coyote problem um before we got the dogs one spring we lost a dozen lambs to coyotes and they were just um they were getting really bold before they would sort of stay away from the places that people were frequently you know around the barns and, and the fields um but just that one spring they just stopped caring seemingly and they would just come in and snatch lambs right out from uh i mean they left part of a lamb carcass in my mother-in-law's front yard oh, wow. one time so that was huh, very bold that was a little yeah it was and it was just i mean we'd never seen anything like it before so as much as we want to sort of keep the natural balance of things um once you start doing that we, we need to you know the coyotes we need to do something about it so <laughs> to we started off with a llama um which in hindsight I don't know why we thought this would work because the coyote problem was so bad. I don't know what I thought a llama was going to do, but, um, I always wanted a llama. So I talked everyone into it and I found, I found one. I'd like to say she was on sale. I found a guy who was downsizing his herd. He had like a ton of llamas and he would show them and he sold them for breeding stock. And he had this one that was sort of extra on sale from his downsizing that he like, wasn't really a fan of. And, you know, she didn't. She wasn't really anything special. So I got her for like five hundred bucks. We took her home, <laughs> and she hated the sheep, oh. and she just wanted to be back with her llama family. And um, 
So we, we forced everyone to be in the barn together for about a week so that they could just all figure it out. Yes. And the sheep just, they love her to death. They love the llama. Oh, yes. They love her so much. Um, which is why she's still around, because then we found the... So we got her early in the fall of uh, 2016 or 17? 2016. Oh, yes. That next year, um, you know, everything was going okay. We didn't notice too bad of predation issues. But then that fall... Um, either coyotes or, or dogs or something, some sort of uh, canines just ran our flock around and killed a couple lambs, oh, no. injured a couple ewes. I mean, it was like a massacre. Yeah. So the llama, while she was upset, I mean, she couldn't really do anything against a pack of coyotes. Yes. So that winter, that was like fall of 2017, that winter is when we got our first uh, livestock guardian puppy. He's a knackbash. Um, and then, uh, we got another puppy about the same age. We got her a little later though. And she's an Anatolian shepherd later that winter and they've really helped. I mean, we haven't really noticed any of the issues. I'm sure, um, if I tagged everyone and kept super, really good track of all my lambs, I would notice that some were, were going missing. Um, but we haven't noticed the issues that we did before. We know the dogs are out there working hard because they nap pretty hard during the day, especially, especially our female Hazel. She's a really, I mean, she's just a, she's a great worker. So then, uh, we also have, I have a great Pyrenees, uh, puppy. She's nine months old and she's sort of, uh, she's in training to be the next, you know, once, once we figured out that the dogs really worked well, um, we decided we needed to start sort of layering them in at different ages so that as the older ones, you know, sort of get to retirement age, we had younger ones that were already ready to work. Um, but we still have a llama because, uh, actually like when we had our, I had my sheep flock at a different property this week, which we weren't comfortable taking the dogs there because there's just, you know, just too many houses, not oh, great yes. fencing. Um, but we took the llama cause the sheep love the llama and they, if they get concerned about something or something, um, like spooks them they go to the llama oh yes which is much to her she's not like the biggest fan of it but i does (laughs) i do think that she likes sort of lording over them yes because she sees them as her subjects i mean she's very she's definitely got a superiority thing going on there um so we keep her around because the sheep really are comfortable around her the dogs love her everyone loves her she doesn't love everyone (laughs) she's got sort of an attitude problem um but she just she gets along so well we could take her and she's just that little bit of extra um eyes on things oh, so yeah. if, if the predation issue isn't that bad she can just hang out there as long as there aren't tiny lambs to um protect she can keep an eye on things but the dogs are the dogs are way better for the coyotes i mean you know you have to once i i heard this later and i was like well that makes a lot of sense that once you have issues with coyotes and they're actually you know taking your lambs you need something with equally as sharp teeth to oh, yes. take them on which Makes perfect sense now, but we, we tried the llama because we thought, well, she'll eat the same stuff as the sheep. Won't have to buy dog food. Won't have to do all this extra stuff, which was true, but just wasn't quite enough. So now we're all in with the dogs. Um, And I would just recommend anyone who has any, I mean, they're just, they're great to have around. They are. We, we struggle with predators as well, and we've tried multiple things. Um, we do have a llama with them. The the llama cracks me up, and the llama's learned. She knows exactly when I open a gate, and she will be out it faster than a horse. I used to think horses were the worst about getting out of open gate. Llama, the worst by far. And she refuses to go where I want her to go. So it's it's this mind game with her all the time. 
about I open a gate and pretend like I don't want her to go, so she goes through yes. the gate. <laughs> they have, yeah, they have such. If I if I was to have a farm with no purpose that I could just have for fun, I would just have a bunch of llamas because they have such interesting personalities. Oh yeah, I mean they. Maybe I know I know ours is a little. She's more aloof than some of them. Some of them are a lot more friendly, but she just like she knows she's hot stuff, and she just she just. Oh man, she, yeah. she has an attitude problem. She knows what she wants, and she just is gonna, she's gonna get it no matter what. So yeah, just I just, I love and, having her around. And I, I like to say she thinks she's better than all of us. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, so it's not just mine then. It's just, yeah, that's how mine is too. I mean, you can tell she just looks down on everyone. Yes, yes. <laughs> it makes me. I mean, the rest of my family's like, why do we keep this thing around? I'm like, she's, she's perfect. I mean. Come on, after, when she passes on, I'm going to have to get another, we're going to just always have to have a llama. Oh, yes. Because it's been such a fun experience, although I'll have to talk the rest of my family into that one. <laughs> the, the llama is always a talking point. Uh, I see people stop when they're driving by to see what's out in the pasture. I have a, a friend that likes to come fishing on us, and he lets me know before he comes because he's scared of the llama. So he will not go in a pasture where the llama is. So I have to tell him where the llama is, and he goes to a different pond. That's that's the thing. I've met, people think that llamas are going to be really fun. They maybe have seen them at petting zoos and stuff. And they, I, I don't know if mine's different or it's because she's not a petting zoo llama. They they think they're going to love her, but then I tell them when they come in to see my sheep and they want to see. Martina, that's our llama's name. Her her name is Martina McBride because she used to be a 4-H llama, and oh, yes. some little girls owned her, and they bought. <laughs> so anyway, all their llamas had country uh, star names. Oh, so yes. Martina. <laughs> so on, in addition to having this attitude thing, she has an interesting name. So um, you know, people think they're gonna just love this llama. She's gonna be so soft. It's gonna be great to pet her, and then she sort of saunters up to them. And stares at them with her big weird llama eyes. <laughs> yes. And just creeps them out. And I'm like, okay, don't don't look at her, don't touch her until she says it's okay. And then they just let her sniff them. And anyway, most everyone <laughs> thinks the llama's really weird and they don't like her. Oh yeah. Her. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's why I love her. I mean, she <laughs> I think she would keep people out as much as she would keep any predators out because she's just so strange <laughs> and she's so nosy. She's always I know oh. she's always watching everything. Yes, and she just freaks. She, she freaks everyone out. Yeah, if anything's happening different on the farm, she's she's watching she knows. it, and she's aware of it, and she's going to go investigate it. Yeah, so that's that's what I heard about them, and that part did turn out to be true. She just she didn't have uh, quite enough to handle coyotes, but I keep her around for the other reasons. Just she's so fun. She's always watching everything. She she knows what's happening. Yes. Um, yeah, they're great. <laughs> Well, Rachel, it's time for our famous four questions. They're, they are the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. Our first question is, what is your favorite grazing grass-related book or resource? Okay, so I have to admit, I have a big pile of books to read, um, but I haven't really gotten to any of them yet. So um, I, fi I do a lot of my research and stuff online, and I have found that basically any extension website is going to have good information um, and also contain pe actual people that you can talk to to follow up. 
oh, with yes. questions. So like I like Cornell's uh, small farm stuff. Ohio State has some really good stuff. Just anytime I have a question about something, I usually Google it, and then I usually try to find an extension resource oh, on yes. it, which I know sounds really boring. I'm not like a secret plant for extension to try to talk them up. <laughs> Um, yes. it's just, you know, their information, it's, it's good stuff. And there's, there's people behind it who know what they're talking yes. about. And they're usually there if you want to, you know, like email them or call them or something right. to, to, to follow up with them. Cause that's, that's what they're there to do. Yeah. Very good resource. What tool could you not live without on your farm? Okay. This is, I'm really excited about this one because this has become my favorite tool. Um, when putting up my Electronet on my own and it's a dead blow hammer. I have a small one pound it's bright orange i got it my in-laws got it for me um from harbor freight which i don't know if you guys have those but it's yes, a, we like do. a tool store yes. okay okay so it's a harbor freight dead blow hammer it's a one pound one it's tiny it just works so well at putting in um the electronet the stakes oh yes because we yeah. we had the double staked ones that you could step in right because we thought oh that'll be much easier like just driving these into the ground is such a pain in the butt um, but then I found with all the moving offense I'm doing, the double staked ones that you step in got tangled too much. So I, I like the singles better. Oh, okay. And with the dead bull hammer, I can put them in anywhere and I can just do it so fast. I mean, oh, yes. I can't, I can't do anything without this hammer. It's my favorite. It's my favorite thing in the Very world. So good. everyone should I, get one. I have some electro netting, but it's all the double stake. So I step on it. Um, I hadn't really thought about that, about the single stake, but it, the double stake does get tangled up. You gotta be so careful, or it. It does, and that's I, I liked it to put up, but the single stake with the hammer, oh, it's so fast. Oh, I very mean, good the hammer, especially on the that. one pound one. Oh, that's that's it. Everyone go get one. Harbor <laughs> Freight. Right. It's like four bucks, bright orange. <laughs> there we go. And and that orange, you won't lose it then. Exactly that too. That's the thing. Oh, it's it's perfect. So that's my favorite. It's my favorite thing of all. Very good. Our third question, Rachel. What would you tell someone just starting out? Ooh, okay. Um, this is kind of hard because everyone starts in different situations. But I would say, um, you know, learn what you can, however you're going to do that, from books or online or watching YouTube videos, if that's your thing. Um, and then just try it out. Try something out on your farm with whatever you have. It might not be perfect. It might not be exactly what you need. Maybe you don't have the best fence. Um it's all going to be a learning experience and then you'll do better next time. So just, just start somewhere with whatever you have, however you can make it happen. It probably won't be perfect. You'll probably make mistakes. Your animals might get out. This has happened to me from speaking from experience. You'll make mistakes. Your animals will go places they shouldn't. You just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to learn from this. I'll do a little better next time, hopefully, um, and come in with a better approach, but just to get started somewhere. And it doesn't, it really, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to look like what the YouTube videos do because everything on your farm is going to be different than anyone else's farm, even your neighbor down the road, whatever they're doing, it might not work for you. So just start with what you have, however you can. I think that's excellent advice. Just start somewhere, try something. And as you bring it up, don't compare someone else's journey to where your journey is because they're in a different place. So. That's that's one of the biggest things that I, I like every, probably every beginning farmer should know because it's so easy to compare yourself to other people. Oh, um, yes. You know, there's just a lot of stuff on social media, which is great. It's so great to learn from other people. And I, oh, I know yes. I said before that I love learning um, from other farmers and just experiencing new things. 
Um, so just take that and then take it home with you and figure out how it might or might not work for you. You don't have to be someone else. Just be yourself, do whatever works for you, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Excellent advice. And Rachel, where can others find out more about you? Okay, so I'll give you uh, a quick rundown of my, my social medias because that's a good, and all of my social medias have different sorts of oh, okay. information on them. So if, if you want to go to our Facebook page, it's Tall Pines Farms PA, um, and that's like the the censored clean version that my grandma will look at online. <laughs> um, Very good. And that's so if you if you want if you're okay with uh, some curse words here and there, my Instagram has a little more I get a little more like inside baseball sort of things in the <laughs> weeds about different practices and that's Tall Pines Farms on Instagram and I post pictures and I tell long rambling stories and I use bad words sometimes because animals are frustrating and <laughs> things are frustrating. And if you want I'm also on Twitter for my for work because I'm a I'm an ag journalist, so I, you know, my stories are on there but also just different um, sharing different farming experiences, which Ag Twitter can be a great place. It can also be a terrible place, but uh, oh, you know, there's a lot of cool people there. So I'm Wagner Rachel with one R in the middle on Twitter. Very good. We will post those links in our show notes. Rachel, we really have enjoyed you coming on and sharing about your journey and what you're doing. Thank you for having me. It's It's been really great to <laughs> to talk about what we're trying even if it doesn't all work but i mean that's you gotta start somewhere right yes yes i completely agree you're listening to the grazing grass podcast helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers each episode features a grass farmer and their operation if you'd like to be featured on a future episode of the podcast visit grazinggrass.com and click on the be our guest link. Fill out the information and we will be in touch. Also share this episode with someone who may find it valuable. Also follow our Instagram page and our Facebook page. And as always, keep on grazing. Thank you for listening. If you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest link. We are looking for guests for this year. So if you're interested, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes, and telling your friends about it. You can also support the show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is through our Patreon. If you'll go over to grazinggrass.com and click on support, you'll see our links there, and that lists some ways you can support it. But you can click on the Patreon link and for a small amount a month, you help support this podcast so we're able to put out more episodes, and we appreciate that. Also, there is a second level there. If you're a beginning farmer or just getting started and you're wanting more assistance, there is a start grazing grass level there that you could subscribe to and gain more information. No matter what you choose to do, 
We appreciate you listening. Keep on grazing grass.